I've said it before and I'll say it again. There are no original ideas. Sorry folks, there just aren't. Haven't been for millennia. Why? Because someone came before you and someone came before them and so on and so on. And all of us from the past and into the future are simply a huge conglomeration of our influences. That especially goes for creators. I am nothing without the other creators that came before me. My influences range from Roger Zelazny to Stephen King, from Stanley Kubrick to every single performer on the state. The toys I played with as a kid, the stories I read or were read to me, the neighbors next door and the teachers at my school. All of these influences have come together to make the creator that I am today. So what made some of the creators that came before me? This is a question I am actively investigating. Writers are told to read because, well, you just have to. That is your true schooling. Read, read, read. Which I do. I am a voracious reader. But what we aren't told, especially as creators, not just as writers, is to read about the lives of other creators. How they lived, loved, failed, especially that part, and triumphed. In this episode, I'm going to chat about some of my influences and how their lives, not their works, influenced me in the past and influence me now. So stay tuned. This should be interesting. Welcome to Writing in Suburbia with Jake Bible. Hey y'all, just wanted to let you know that I have more than this podcast going on. I'm also publishing a weekly newsletter, as well as releasing chapters of novels, the original podcast recording of Dead Mech, the Friday Night Drabble Party, and so much more. Where is all this greatness? Go to jakebible.substack.com. That's jakebible.substack.com. You can subscribe for free and get plenty of cool stuff weekly. Or become a paid subscriber and get the first releases of novels and audiobooks before they go on sale. Full access to the Dead Mech podcast immediately instead of weekly installments. Access to the full archive and exclusive threads and discussions. Plus a ton of cool stuff I haven't even thought up yet. Head over to jakebible.substack.com and subscribe now. Again, welcome to Writing in Suburbia with Jake Bible. What is this podcast? It's a place where I talk about my career as a professional writer, my fiction, my dreams, my life and family, host other authors, eventually, try out some new things, and just be real for a moment. I promise not to get preachy, to always be kind, and to be 100% honest, without hurting anyone. So, sit back and relax and prepare to be entertained. But, before we get into the meat of the episode, how about some quick Jake Bible Fiction news? Welcome to JBF News! I'll be honest, there isn't a whole hell of a lot of new news since the last episode, such as the glacial pace creating takes. I'm recording the audiobooks for the Kaiju Winter series, and I'm almost done with book one. This isn't exactly news, but let me say that if you are producing and publishing your own work, 
even if you use a proofreader, read your work out loud. You'll be surprised the typos that neither you nor your proofreader catch. But when you have to read them with your own voice, you see them pretty damn fast. One thing that is news is I just joined Clubhouse. I finagled one of those invites and I have to say I'm digging the platform. It's like the chat rooms of yore, but where people actually chat. Voice to voice instead of snarky written comment after snarky written comment. Why is this news? Because I've already met some cool new folks and done a little networking, which isn't frowned upon on Clubhouse. Sanction networking, where my open ambition is seen as just part of the biz, not a social faux pas. You should check it out if you can. What else? Hmm. There is one thing. I have a podcast project that I'm a co-producer and head writer on that is looking for investors. It's got a pretty big talent attached to it and is wonderfully surreal. If you're an investor, then hit me up. JakeBibleFiction at gmail.com I'll send you the pitch materials, including the deck, summary of the series, and an audio clip teaser I produced. Trust me, you're going to want to be in on this. And I think that's it for this week. Hey, do me a favor and rate review this podcast if you get a moment. It helps. And that wraps it up for the JBF News. Thanks, y'all. Let's get into the meat of the episode. Let me start this off by saying my topic today is influences, not mentors. That's a whole other episode. And honestly, this episode isn't as much about what has influenced my creations, but how I have made it a point to study the lives of some of the influences. Or just study the lives of creators in general, whether they have influenced me or not. What does that mean? Think of it this way. The majority of horror writers are influenced by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. They know all about the Cthulhu mythos and old gods and all that stuff. But how many know anything about Lovecraft as a person? Yeah, sure, they know the highlights, like he was a racist and eugenicist, probably had way too much of an attachment with his mother, and openly mentored many up-and-coming writers. But what else about his life do they know? How did he go from womb to tomb? What happened in between all the typing and writing? I don't know the answers to these questions because I haven't studied Lovecraft's life. But I plan to. Whoa, what? Why study someone whose personal beliefs I find abhorrent? Well, so I don't make any of the same mistakes and become abhorrent myself. Not that I'm worried about becoming an unabashed racist that names his cat the N-word. Yep, Lovecraft did that. And it wasn't censored as the N-word. He called that cat the full word. Yeah. For me... I have made a very specific point of doing things in my career sort of backwards. I made sure I started my family and focused on that before I launched my writing career. I didn't launch my career and try to fit a family into it, which has, time and time again, proven to be how you fail at family. There's a reason so many writers now and throughout history end up divorced and isolated from their families. They did it backwards. Some of them, at least. I just read biographies on Orson Welles, Bob Fosse, and Jim Henson, and plenty more. All of them were focused on the work first, family second. 
although Henson was devoted to his children, and they say they never felt his absence even when he wasn't physically with them because he made a point to be involved in all aspects of his children's lives. But even the Henson kids knew that the work came first for their father. Wells, not so much with the priorities. He loved his daughters and tried to stay in communication with them. He made the effort, but stretches of time would go by without word from their father because his mind, life, soul was always focused on getting the work done. Always. Wells's work came first. Same with Bob Fossey. Although with Fossey, it was impossible to separate the man from the work. So you could say Fossey came first. His daughter was loved and Fossey definitely made an effort as much as he could. But in the end, it was the work that mattered. Hell, he was honest enough about it to make the semi-autobiographical film All That Jazz. It's on the screen, right there. And there are plenty more reasons to learn about other creators' lives. You learn how they focus. You learn how their creative process informs not just their works, but their whole lives. David Lynch has always been David Lynch. He's an artist that never stops working, whether it's making films or painting or sculpting or remodeling his home or creating commercials for foreign markets. Whoa, let's stop there for a second. David Lynch, one of filmmaking's great auteurs, directed a ton of commercials for foreign and even domestic markets. David Lynch, the guy that refused to compromise on his amazing films like Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive, and more. This genius made commercials. Plenty of snarky dickholes on the internet would and do skewer creators as sellouts for doing anything outside of what they consider, in their infinite internet wisdom, as the creative box that people should be trapped in. Are you a filmmaker? Then you are not allowed to do anything except make films. But Lynch always did, and still does, see creation as the end goal, not the medium. As long as he had control of the project and his vision, then a commercial was as important as a film or sculpture. Learning the list of companies that Lynch did commercials for really, truly helped me gain perspective on what it means to be a creator. If your mind and soul take you there, then that is where you are supposed to be. Beautiful. Let's see, what else? Ah, Mike Nichols, yes. The genius co-creator of what we consider improv today I'm going to be tackling Elaine May next, don't worry. Well, at least, uh, tackling her biography. N not in this podcast. i still got some reading to do before I get into Elaine May. And there's a lot to get into. Jeez, genius. Anyway, back to Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols had a major rule when it came to making movies or stage plays. No assholes. Brilliant. It didn't mean things couldn't get dramatic on a set or on a stage. It didn't mean that emotions didn't run high or that people wouldn't yell or shit wouldn't go wrong. But it meant there weren't going to be assholes creating the drama or emotion or trying to steer Mike away from his vision. He was legend for politely thanking people for their work and letting them go if he felt that the asshole rule was going to be, or already had been, broken. Also, Another thing about learning about Mike Nichols, and remember, this is the man who directed The Graduate and Carnal Knowledge and, of course, you know, Angels in America on HBO and so many things. I mean, he originated The Odd Couple on Broadway and uh, the list can go on. But he also 
readily admitted he would sell out and do projects just for the money. And that's good to know. It doesn't mean I want to sell out. I don't necessarily want to do that, but um, I do like having money and the stuff that it pays for. So I've got that in my back pocket always. If there's a project I think I may have to take because of the money, well, Mike Nichols did it. (laughs) Now, back to his whole no assholes thing. Um, Lynch, David Lynch, was similar too. Everyone interviewed for his memoir insisted that he was so pleasant and enjoyable to work with. Unlike the themes and tones of his films, he was an upbeat, very happy, and gregarious guy on set. He truly appreciated everyone present because he knew they all had a job to do and he respected the jobs being done. For Lynch, there are no small jobs on a set. I mean, that's cool. I've also been digging into industry biographies and memoirs. Judd Apatow wrote a brilliant book that compiled a ton of the interviews he'd done as a teenager of stand-up comics, as well as interviews he conducted over the years for magazines, workshops, and events. He not only talked about his life and how he came up in comedy, going from stand-up to writing to producing and directing, from freaks and geeks to the 40-year-old virgin to knocked up and so on. He talked about all the other stuff. I learned a ton just from his life. But then you add in all the interviews of comedians like Jerry Seinfeld and Albert Brooks and Mel Brooks, no relation, and Larry Gelbart and so on and so on. That's history. That's priceless. So many genius points of view. I also just devoured True Indie, Don Coscarelli's memoir about his life making indie films. Don't know Don's name? Have you heard of the movies Phantasm, Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep, John Dies at the End? I bet you've heard of at least one of those. And in this memoir, he laid it all out there. The trials, tribulations, triumphs, and heartbreaks. All the projects he was lucky to get made, and all the projects that never saw the light of day. Eye-opening. And, as a bonus, he had a successful family life. (laughs) Good on him. Then I went even more big picture and read a book of essays all about Full Moon Studios. Full Moon Studios, you ask? You did ask, trust me. How about B-movies like Trancers, The Puppet Master, Josh Kirby, Dinotopia, and more? All those great VHS and later DVD titles that line the shelves of the local video store. Some, most, were slash are awful, but some are just great fun and that's what matters. I learned that the later films like Ginger Dead Man and Killer Bong were shot in less than a week. No shit. There were a lot of movies that Full Moon Studios had made that um, only took four, five, six days as their shooting schedules. Yes, the movies looked like they had some serious low-budget issues. Shit, man. Those movies got made in just a few weeks instead of many months or even years. Why does that matter? Because it strips away the limitations. Now, from experience, I know what it's like to crank out work. I'm the guy that wrote 50 novels in five years. Would I recommend that kind of schedule? Hell no. But it is possible to do, and there's some freedom in knowing that. Now, before I close out, I want to talk about the biggest influence on me as a writer. I'm not joking. Without this influence, I wouldn't be a writer today. 
and that would be the essays Roger Zelazny wrote and put before each of his short stories in his many collections. Yes, the stories themselves influenced me, but it was the essays, the words about his process, his influences, his history with those stories that was a billion times more valuable than the fiction that followed. I got to see into the mind of a creator, and not just any creator, but my favorite writer of all time. I was allowed to hear how he crafted a story carefully, or how he rushed through it because of a deadline and a check that waited for him. I had a glimpse into what motivated and influenced him. Then I'd read the stories, and it lit a fire in my soul. I remember reading an essay, reading the story that followed, and instantly having to get up out of my chair, go to my desk, and start writing. I had to. It was a compulsion, because he made it sound possible. And that is the number one reason that creators need to learn not just from, but about other creators. You learn the possible. The myths are stripped away and the realities are thrust into your face, warts and all. Orson Welles was a cinematic genius, but Citizen Kane was a box office flop and Welles spent the vast majority of his career hunting for funds to make his projects. One of the greatest filmmakers of all time, the man that made one of the greatest movies of all time, was considered a bad bet. For me, that's liberating to know. It means that my struggle to create is no different than a legend's struggle to create. Shit will, and usually does, get in the way, no matter who you are. You know, audiences weren't thrilled with Twin Peaks' Firewalk with me. They weren't thrilled with Wild at Heart. But I consider those both masterpieces by Lynch. I love those movies. I loved them when they came out and didn't even notice the bad press they got. So reading about how they were skewered by critics really gives me some new perspective now. Time will tell what is brilliant and what isn't. You cannot rely on the current mood or zeitgeist to tell the truth. People are just too sheep-like to have bold opinions and go against the grain. This is the same with Jim Henson. Both The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth were critical failures and did not do so well at the box office. I have a feeling there are more than a few of you out there right now saying something in a Skeksis voice or you're singing that Babe song from Labyrinth. Time reveals genius. Current popular opinion can suck it. Learn from time, not from popular opinion. Learn who your idols were, who they really were. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their successes. Learn. Don't emulate. Learn. You always have to be you, but sometimes it makes it a little easier, a little less lonely, a little clearer on how you become you as a creator when you find out how other creators became themselves and the real selves, not the myths and legends. Learn from the past so you can create your future. And I have faith in you. I truly do. Get out there and do it. I'm going to. Hey, all you crazy folks out there. Do you like zombies? Do you like mechs? Do you like post-apocalyptic wastelands filled with cults and cannibals and city-states and hundreds of thousands of the undead? Then you're gonna love Dead Mech. In the far, far future, Dead Mech asks the question, what happens when a mech pilot dies while piloting their 50-foot battle robot and then becomes a zombie? You get a Dead Mech. Dead Mech is available for free as an ebook, and you can find the link at jakebible.com. Want to listen for free? 
then check out the re-release of the original podcast version of the novel. Subscribe for free at jakebible.substack.com and you'll get an episode each week delivered right to the podcast player of your choice. Hell, you may have already noticed an episode or two in this very feed. Don't want to wait each week? Then feel free to either become a paid subscriber at jakebible.substack.com and get all of the episodes at once, or go to jakebible.com and purchase the audiobook from the web store. Or buy it from one of those giganto mega corporations. They have copies waiting for you, too. Remember, head to jakebible.com or jakebible.substack.com. You're gonna love it! I keep telling myself I'll change that promo. One day I will, especially once I have something new out there to show. And don't worry, I'm working on it. I hope you dug this week's topic. If you did, then, as I said before, maybe rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. I want to keep creating my way, and the way I do that is by help from my listeners. Write that review. Click those stars. I appreciate it. But of course, appreciation isn't a one-way street. Like always before I kick it over to the end credits, I want to just say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for being you and digging my insanity. Just one big thank you. I'll talk to you all soon. It may not be every week, but it'll be close. Until then, here's something to always, always remember. You can only fail if you quit. Life, writing, everything is a long game. So keep at it. Cheers, y'all. Writing in Suburbia with Jake Bible is a Jake Bible Fiction LLC production, all rights reserved. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Kevin has been a huge part of the podcast community for well over a decade now. So check him out and drop him some coin if you get a chance. Full credits are in the show notes. For all links to works and stuffs mentioned in the episode, please check out the show notes or head over to jakebible.substack.com. Thank you for listening. Cheers, y'all.